All right. <clears throat> Good evening. Um, we are going to learn a this week is Parshas Chukas. So we're going to learn a discourse on Parshas Chukas um, in, in Sefer Lakuti Torah, page 122. It's a short mimer, a short discourse, and uh, that's what we're learning tonight. Okay. We learn in um, the Torah the, this week, we're, reading, we're learning about the red heifer, about the paraduma. That's the red cow, a cow that they had to search out for and look that it had to be complete in its redness. And then um, this was used as a special remedy to heal. What kind of healing? When there is any contact with a dead body that causes the person to become ritually defiled. And it's a type of a defilement that doesn't go away from a person no matter what you do. There are many types of tumma, there's many types of defilement or impurities that um, will go away when a person does, usually it's mikvah. One goes to the mikvah, one immerses themselves in a body of water, and that removes uh, the contamination and restores the person to a spiritually healthy state. However, there is one type of impurity that is... Um, there is one type of impurity that is very, 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 a very, very, very intense and a very, very impure state. And that is the impurity. Okay, so that is the impurity of a defilement with a dead body. So that is a defilement when one comes into a contact with a dead body. So then the, um, the, the, the effect of that contamination, it cannot be removed. It's a type of contamination that just remains with the person. And obviously what's the, the consequences of that is that this person cannot come into the temple or cannot eat any sacrificial meats or something like that. When a person is defiled, they may not come into contact with anything holy. Uh, so the Torah this week gives us the only remedy that can remove this type of an impurity, and that is that the person who became impure by coming into contact with, a, with death, with a dead body, needs to get sprinkled from ashes, which is, these ashes are, come from the red heifer. There's this red cow and they had to slaughter the cow, and then they had to sprinkle the blood. There's a whole procedure, the Torah says, towards the, towards the base of Migdash, towards the temple, towards the altar, and was actually done outside of the... It's the only sacrifice that is not done in the base of Migdash, it's done outside. And then they would sprinkle the blood towards the base of Migdash, and then after that, um, they would... Um, burn the, the, the dead cow, the cow that was, 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 was shechted, the cow had to be burnt, uh, burnt down to ashes. 
the cow needed to be burnt, burnt completely down to ashes. And then they would take the, in order to purify the, um, this person, they would take the ashes and, um, and they would take the ashes and they would mix it with water. With, it had to be spring water. Water coming from a spring. And then this water with this ashes that came from the spring was sprinkled on this person that was contaminated. And the sprinkling had to be done, and this is the main point of this discourse, the sprinkling had to be done both on the third day and on the seventh day of purification. That means not the third day and the seventh day, not the third day and seventh day of, of when the person became contaminated. If a person decided to re- be contaminated for a year or two, if a person decided to be contaminated and remain in his contamination for a year or two, uh, that's okay, as long as they don't go to the temple. But if at any point they choose that now is the time to become purified, so then, if at any time they decided that now is the time to be purified, they, they would schedule an appointment and the Kohen would sprinkle with them on the they would start counting. They would say, today is my first day of purification. They won't have to do anything on that day. This is the first day of purification. And they would count to the third day. Third day, the, the Kohen would sprinkle on them a sprinkling. Then they would wait another four days. And on the seventh day, they would be sprinkled again. Then the person would immerse in a mikvah on that day. And then when the night came, the person was pure. The tumor went away. That's the idea of the red heifer. This discourse over here is coming to explain the significance of the purification and of why the purification is taking place on the third and on the seventh day. What's the significance of this intense healing which purifies from the contamination of death that on the third, on the seventh day? So the root of where this is really going to, the source of this whole thing, uh, the source of this discourse, the source of this whole idea, is that the mimer is really coming to explain that the healing of the impurity that comes from a paraduma, from sorry, from the from the um, from death, is the healing of the red heifer in its really, really essence, is not just the healing of the defilement that comes through contamination with death, but really it's the rectification of death itself. When Mashiach will come, for instance, Mashiach is going to be the one who is going to oversee the last, in history we had nine red heifers, paradumas, nine of them were done. The tenth one, is going to be done by Mashiach. He's going to oversee it. He's not a Kohen, but he's going to be in charge of overseeing it. 
And then we're going to have the red heifer ashes. But it's only going to be used once. When? To purify all of us from the impurity. After that, it doesn't have to be used again because the real idea of Mashiach making the tenth red heifer, the repent paraduma, is that he's going to rectify death. No one will die anymore. And so death, so even though now the paraduma, the red heifer, it's is actualized only to a certain degree. Today's days, even though we have the red heifer, people still continue dying. It's just that we remove the effects of death on people that did not die, but came into contamination, came into contact with the dead person. So it's almost like there's only kind of a little bit of death that got stuck to them. So today's days, the paraduma that we have today can heal those that got a little stain of death, but not death itself. In the ultimate, what really paraduma, it's the anti-death entity. It's, so that must be that the red heifer, the paraduma, is in some way connected to absolute life. Life that cannot become ever disconnected. Life that can never end. And he's going to explain now why and what is the significance of attaching ourselves to that place, an energy that does not die, an energy that's eternal, an energy that's forever, why to connect to that place, we do it on the third day and on the seventh day. So he's going to explain that days, I'm just giving a little brief synopsis of what we're going to be learning, days are, um, are, are also uh, the idea of the... Uh, godly emotions, the divine attributes. We know, we learn many times, there are seven divine attributes. Chesed, the first one is kindness, then Gevura, strength, and so on and so forth. Chesed, Gevura, Teferes, Netzachod, Yesod, Malchus. There are seven divine attributes, which are really the primary building blocks of all of creation. That's why creation is built in systems of seven. There are seven days in the week. Space is also seven. There is the six directions and the middle point. So time and space is all made up of seven. In terms of people that live in the world are 70 nations according to the Torah. So seven is a complete number. The human psyche is made up of seven emotions that make up our drive, our, our, I'm sorry, our personality. We're driven by seven emotions. So the world, and that all goes back to Hashem because Hashem also emanates from himself seven emotions. These seven emotions translate into seven days. Comes out that if we say, in order to eliminate death, to heal from death, we need to get this healing treatment on the third day and on the seventh day, it means that the secret for eternity, the secret for transcending death, and for ridding ourselves from death is connected to the third emotion and the seventh emotion. So we have to figure out what's the third emotion and what's the seventh emotion and what's their connection to a place that's beyond death, to eternal life. So brief, we know that our first, that the, 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 the uh, seven emotions also are associated with seven tzaddikim, with seven righteous people. They're associated with seven righteous people. Who are these seven righteous people? Avram is the embodiment. Abraham, our forefather, is the embodiment of kindness. Isaac, Yitzchak, is the embodiment of 
Gevura, uh, which is um, intensity, uh, restraint, and so on. Yaakov is the embodiment of the third emotion called Teferis. Teferis is beauty. And then Moshe is the fourth. It's called Netzach, perseverance, victory. Aaron is the fifth, which is Hod. Yosef Atzadik. Okay, Joseph. He's the personification of the sixth one called Yesod, which is foundation. And finally, King David, he's the seventh. So in some way, we find over here an interesting idea. That in order to heal from death, it's connected to two energies. The energy of Jacob, the energy of Yaakov, and the energy of King David. Both their energies, Yaakov, which is Teferis, beauty, harmony, and um, David Amelech, whose energy is the energy of kingship, malchus, royalty, regality, these two middos enable us to heal from death. So we need to understand, and, and that's why we, he says something at the end of the discourse, really phenomenal. The, these are the two people who we always speak about that they never died. For instance, about King David, we all are familiar with the song, David, David Melech Yisrael Chai V'Kayam. And we always sing that song. David Melech, David, the king of Israel, Chai V'Kayam. He's alive and he's well even though he only lived for 70 years. Interesting. He lived 70 years, and he's the, sev- he's the seventh one connected to the number seven. And he lived to his 70th birthday. And, but David HaMelech, we sing, we say it in Kiddush Lovana when we, when, we, when we sanctify the moon every, every month, when we bless the special blessings associated with the moon, which we know the moon is related to King David. In any case, we say that he's alive and well, he lives on forever. So obviously you understand what that means, but that's what it says about David. We also know that Yaakov Avinu, the sages say about Yaakov, from all the other righteous people, the sages say that Yaakov never died. Even though it looked like he died, and he passed away, and they buried him, the sages say, no, Yaakov is alive. Why do they say it only about Yaakov, and you say it only about David? Because Yaakov is Teferes, the third attribute. King David is Malchus. And as we're going to see soon in the discourse, through our divine worship, that is particularly associated with these two attributes, we connect ourselves to a place so high that there's no death. And even if one did, God forbid, fall into a death, a state of death, which as we're going to see soon doesn't have to mean physically only, spiritually also a person can fall into a state where they're dead, like a deep depression or something like that, where they're just totally or spiritually apathetic, cold, indifferent, cynical to anything holy. That means there's no life in you. There's no spiritual holy energy. A person has died in the sense of their soul, their spiritual uh, aspirations, their excitement, their attachment to Hashem is completely dried out. Sometimes, God forbid, something like that can happen. We feel we lose, we just get so spiritually dead. That's called spiritual death. How does one rekindle, re-jump, re- how do you restart your engine? How do you get yourself what's called the resurrection? How do you get yourself resurrected? How do you come back to life? Well, when you, when you, you serve Hashem, you make an effort. Serving Hashem, as we're going to see soon, in the thir- through the third emotion and through the seventh emotion, it's these through attributes that take us out of death. And that's why when they sprinkled the red he- heifer, the ashes of the red heifer, 
of the paraduma, which is the antidote to death, the Torah says to do it on the third day and on the seventh day. So now, what, what, we're, what we're left to figure out, what we are left to figure out right now, is what is this, the dynamics of what, what is the third? What does it mean in our service? What, is it, what does Yaakov represent? What does Yaakov represent and what does David represent? To me and to you, other than their people, how do I follow in the footsteps of Yaakov and serve God like Yaakov would? How do I follow in the footsteps of King David and serve Hashem like King David would? And as a result of that, I can free myself from death. Because again, the, what, what is it connected this week to the Torah portion? In the parsha, it says that when someone becomes defiled, the, the remedy is the red heifer. He's not going to deal now with the red heifer itself. He's going to deal with why is the treatment of this medication done on the third and on the seventh day. So he's saying because these two days, which as we said earlier, a day represents also the attributes. Every day is a, another attribute. This I forgot to connect earlier. I mean, I'm sorry. When Hashem created the world, He created the world in seven days. So the first day, when God, the creation of Sunday was through Hashem's attribute of kindness. It was through the energy of Avraham, which is kindness. That Sunday is Avraham's day. Monday is Isaac's day, Yitzchak's day. Tuesday is Yaakov's day. And Hashem created on Tuesday, He used the energies of Yaakov, He used the, the attribute of Teferes to create the world. And I'll give you a little example. What does Teferes mean? Beauty. What happened on Tuesday when God... When God, what did God create on Tuesday, according to the, the, Torah, the, the story we read in, 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 in Beratius at the beginning of the Torah? What happened on Tuesday? Hashem made all the plants and the trees. Until that time, the world was stark and empty. And when Hashem, on Tuesday, made the world be filled with flowers and plants and trees, the world became beautiful. So you see that Tuesday was a, 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 a creation of beauty. Shabbos is regality. And that was, and that's through Shabbos, is he didn't create. For whatever reason, Malchus is not associated with creation, with creating, but with the rest that comes and the pleasure that comes after he's created. But all I am pointing out now is that the seven days of creation are associated with these seven emotions. So if we are told that in order to get healed, you need to do something on the third day and on the seventh day, means that you need to activate these emotions to become freed from this, from, the, from this poison of death. So we need to understand what does that mean, and that's what we're going to learn inside. So he begins. This is the paragraph over here. The one that is pure should sprinkle on the one that is defiled. On the third day, on the seventh day. So now he begins by telling us as follows. We find, we find that the third day is associated with eternal life. Where do we find that? Because it says somewhere in, 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 in uh, Navi, in Hoshea. Hoshea is one of, the, one of the prophets. It says over there, um, uh, it says, Yechayenu mi He will make us live from two days, by Yoimashlishi on the third day, Yikimenu, he will lift us up, 
and we will live before him. That's the verse. Bayom Ashlishi on the third day, Yikimenu, God will lift us up, Vinichya, and we will live Lefanov before him. So there is a midrash. That's what the that's what the verse says. The midrash connects that verse when it says, On the third day we will we will be Yikimenu, he will lift us up and we will live before him. It's referring to the time of the resurrection. The time of the resurrection is called the third day, for whatever reason. That means it's taking all of time until the time of the resurrection and referring that as two days. That's where there is life and death in the world. Finally, we come to the third day, which is the days of... It makes sense if you're looking at, let's say, the first, the first temple, first base of Migdash, second base of Migdash, and when is the resurrection going to happen? By the third temple. So that's like the third era. We also know that all of time is divided into three. That the, the, the time that we lived, history is divided into three groups, the sages say. The first 2,000 years is 2,000 years of chaos. The second 2,000 years is 2,000 years of rectification. The Torah is rectifying the world. And the last 2,000 years is called the days of Mashiach. So you see it's divided into three. In the third section of time, only in the third section of time, Bayom Ashlishi on the third day, Yikimenu, God will lift us up, Venichya, and we will live before Him. So the Midrash associates this verse that Tchias HaMesim, which is the long-awaited resurrection, is going to take place on the third day. Obviously, third day doesn't mean three days as we understand it. Third day, whatever it means spiritually. But it means the third day there will be... But what do you see from here? Eternal life, all, he is, all he's doing is, he's proving, once we're resurrected, we're going to live on forever. It's actually, it's what the verse is saying. On the third day, he will, he will make us get up. Who will get up? Those who died already. Those who die will get up. And not only will they get up, but we will live before him, which means we will live in front of God, we will live forever. Just like God is forever, we will also live forever. All he is proving then from that verse is that what? That the third day is associated with, with eternal life, which is the antithesis to death. Right? So, by the resurrection of the dead, it says, on the third day, he will get us, he will wake us, he will lift us up, and we will live before him. Ayin b'medrash rava. Look in the Midrash. Pashas Vayera Perek Nunvav. Look in the Midrash, he says. And in the Midrash over there, he associates this verse with Tchias HaMesim, with the resurrection of the dead. Now, let's understand, what is the connection of the third day to the resurrection? Why is he saying this? Because he's going to explain by us why, even in today's days, when we don't live forever, when we want to remove the effects of death, as it is chas and paralyzing a person. A person came into, spiritually died. How do we remove that? How do we get out of a dead place? The secret is the third day. Because the third day is the key to life. So he's going to explain what's the connection. Why is the third attribute associated? Why Jacob? Why Yaakov? Why is Yaakov, from all our patriarchs, they were all great men. Why is it Yaakov that lives forever? Why? And the idea is, 
the Indian and the idea is because the third attribute is a so even though it's called beauty, but in its inner meaning it really means compassion. The third day that we know that Avram served God with love, kindness, is love, loving kindness. Yitzchak served God with dread and awe. He had fear of God that was like right with with restraint and with awe. And Yaakov and Yaakov served Hashem. And Yaakov served Hashem with compassion. The service of Yaakov is with compassion. So, ya- so the third day is associated with compassion. And now he's going to explain that the resurrection happens with compassion. The energy that will bring about the resurrection of all human beings to come alive is God's endless and infinite compassion. How do we know that? We say it in our prayer every day. We say it in David. In the second blessings of Shemona Esrei, we say, Ato Gibor, you're strong, you're mighty God, whatever. And then we say, Machaye Mesim, you resurrect the dead, Berachamim Rabim, with an abundance of compassion, with much compassion. So you see from here that the energy of resurrection is the energy of compassion. That means, there's going to come a time when God is going to, whatever that means, is going to release or reveal His endless and infinite compassion on the universe and on the creation. And that compassion is going to be so powerful and so strong that it's going to resurrect even something that died. The Indian, as we're going to see, so we're going to understand that in a, in a little better in a few minutes. The Indian, and the idea is, Ki yemesim, He enlivens the dead, is with great compassion. This is also what the sages say, that when the time comes for the resurrection, a special dew is going to fall down from heaven. A dew is going to fall down from heaven, and that dew is going to land on all the graves, and it's going to kind of resurrect the dead. The dew, the sages always speak about this dew. Obviously it can't be a physical dew, just a moisture coming down from heaven that's going to resurrect the dead. Because you can water the, uh, the, the cemetery as much as you want and no one is coming alive. So it's not just a regular moisture. Obviously it's some powerful spiritual energy which God is going to enliven the dead. What is this do? So he says this do is God's compassion. Just like, it's like rain a lot of times looks like compassion. Someone is crying. When you, when you feel compassion for someone, you cry for them. So the do is like Hashem crying for the world. Hashem having compassion for the world. That tal comes down, God's compassion. And that compassion is what resurrects the dead. Tal sha'asid lahachiz be'es amesim. The do that in the future is going to resurrect the dead. Vahu makar. And this do, this compassion that we're talking about, is very, very high. It's an infinite, boundless, endless compassion. It's the source for Yud Gimel Midas for the 13 attributes of mercy. We are familiar that when it comes to high holidays on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, we evoke 13 attributes of mercy. We constantly, we don't, we do it every day also after the Shemona Esrebi when we say Tachanun, right? We say Hashem, Hashem, Kerachum, Bechanan, we say the 13 attributes of mercy. 
but primarily we use it during the month of Elul, Slichot, that we say, and then on Yom Kippur, Rosh Hashanah, especially Yom Kippur, especially at the conclusion of Yom Kippur. We keep on repeating the 13 attributes of mercy. What is so special about the 13 attributes of mercy? 13 attributes of mercy are a very high level of compassion, a very high level of mercy. It's not ordinary mercy. Yeah, and let me explain it a little bit Kabbalistically. Okay? We spoke earlier that Hashem has seven emotions. Seven emotions, kindness, um, strictness, restraint, and then Hashem has compassion. That's Rachamim, Teferis, compassion. Then, however, Kabbalah tells us that a Above, much higher than these, than these divine attributes, there's another level of compassion. And these are the compassion, the compassion of Hashem that's associated with His crown. The crown of God is much higher than the attributes. Why? The attributes are called the midot. Midos. What does midah mean? Midah means a measure. Midah means a measure. Midah means an attribute, but also means a measure. The attributes are, the attributes are, um, are all measured. Why? Because God is infinite. And the reason why Hashem has emanated these attributes to begin with is because He wants to relate, create, and then be in a, in a relationship with a finite world. If His energy would be released without the attributes, then this energy would just completely destroy the creation. It's infinite. It couldn't possibly communicate with a finite world with an infinite power. It's like if you want to, you know, turn on a light bulb and you plug it into a nuclear power plant, what's it going to do to the light bulb? It's going to blow a fuse instantly. So it has to be constricted. So really we can say like this, what are the 13 attributes of mercy? Not the 13 attributes. What are the seven attributes? The middle, the ten, or the... In general, the whole realm of attributes in God, what are they meant to do? They're meant to serve as powerful filters that filter and hold back and screen and hold back the infinite. And then Hashem relates to the world from a finite place. He could, he, it's almost like God makes Himself small to be in a relationship with us. It's almost like Hashem makes Himself finite so that He can be in a relationship with us. So that's wonderful. That's great. Problem is that when he makes himself finite, then all of his, all of his, all of his, all, then the energy coming from there is finite, which is good because we can't handle the infinite. But on the other hand, thank you. But on the other hand, sometimes we're in a situation where a measured level of compassion is not going to do it for us. Why? Because we're in such a pathetic state. That, that, or for instance, if Hashem, Hashem, Hashem constricted his, his, his compassion to be measured, if it's measured, then, then it, it's limited. It's like, you know, I, I have compassion on these and these and these situations, but on this person, they're so wicked or they're so bad that forget about it. Over. God. So God can, God forbid, write someone off. Sometimes someone crossed the line and they should not be forgiven because they've done so, so, so much sin so much so much negativity that even the divine attribute of compassion does not justify to forgive this person it's too much 
It's like an example, but yeah, so people, a person can be very compassionate to a, na- to a friend or to a child or to somebody. And you can be compassionate. But then it reaches a certain limit. It's at a point, it's like, you know what, I've already had my compassion and, I'm, and, and I've run out of it. Now it's already past that. You don't deserve it anymore. So the divine attribute of compassion itself has a limit. What do we do in Yom Kippur? We want to be forgiven even if we've sinned a gazillion times. Even if we've been the worst of the worst throughout the year, we're still asking for forgiveness. On Yom Kippur, we don't send anybody out of shul. There's no one who is beyond approaching God on Yom Kippur. There's no one in the world that can say that I've sinned too much, I can't be forgiven. Oh, but in order to gain forgiveness, even if we don't deserve it, from God's attribute of compassion. So therefore, on Yom Kippur, God gets us, gives us access to a place higher than His attributes. God gives us access to His very self. The infinite dimension. That's called the crown. The crown is the infinite. The compassion that's in the crown is unlimited. And therefore, there is, there is no one that would be pushed away. If a person wants forgiveness and asks for forgiveness, no matter what they've done, no matter how bad of the mess up they've done, even they will be forgiven. Why will they be forgiven? Because the compassion is endless. There's no limit. And therefore, it will extend itself even, 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 even to the most distant, to the most discount, the worst, the lowest of the low. That's the idea of the 13 attributes of mercy. But here I have a, a question. If we're saying that these, that the, the 13 dimensions of God's compassion that's infinite, is infinite, so then why are we calling it midos? In Hebrew, how do you call the 13 attributes of mercy? Yud gimel midos arachamit. If the whole idea of the, of, the, of the level of compassion is that it's infinite compassion, it's endless, it's bad, and that's why it's different than the emotion of compassion. The emotion of compassion is a finite compassion. When I say finite, I mean it's God's compassion, but it's still Hashem as He contracted Himself into finitude. So what do we want? We want to reach the, the infinite, the, 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 the transcendental, the, the, the ain't self, Hashem's infinite compassion. So why are we calling that Midas? I'll tell you even more. It says that the 13 attributes of mercy are associated with God's beard. One of the reasons why Judaism, Yiddishkeit, um, recommends that someone should have a beard, that men should have a beard, and they shouldn't cut it off. Hasidim don't try not to cut their beards. Why? According to the... Because anybody that, is associated, that, that tries to live their life according to the Kabbalistic tradition, even though halachically we can question whether one could cut their beard, whatever, but when it comes to Kabbalistically, it's a very great thing to have a beard. Why? Because it says that the beard that a person has is connected. Everything in our physical body, our physical anatomy, is derived from the divine. The 13 attributes of mercy are associated with God's beard. Um, Daniel, when he sees Hashem, he saw a vision, he describes God with a beard and, uh, and the white, and that's where the, um, the, the, the compassion comes from. Now if you think about a beard, here, a, beard a beard is here. Here is a narrow channel. 
So the energy flowing through a hair, every hair is a tube. Think about it. Hair is really a tube. There's a hole in the hair. And life goes through that hole. How do you know life goes through the hole? Because your hair is alive. How do you know your hair is alive? They don't dance once in a while, but why is the hair alive? Because it grows. It means there's life flowing in the hair. It's very, very minute. Very minute, but there is life flow. If we're using the hair as God's hair, you can imagine what God's hair, how much energy is flowing through God's hair, but it's still a hair. And a hair represents what? A powerful what? A powerful limitation. It's only being narrowly transmitted through a hair. What am I saying the whole time? What are we learning now? That the 13 attributes of mercy is where the flow of mercy and compassion is infinite, boundless. So why is it coming through the hair? The answer is, in essence, the 13 attributes of mercy is really an energy that's insof, it's infinite. There is no boundary. To, but it cannot descend from that place to us in its infinite form because it would, it would destroy us. It would destroy the world. So that infinite, endless, and boundless compassion makes its way down through the strands of the hair. So it's different than the, than the emotions. See, let's go back to the emotion. The seven emotions, the emotions themselves are limited. The compassion itself is a limited compassion. It's like a person's, a human being's compassion. How much compassion do you have? Let's say you, you have someone who is, who's in need of help. And you help them. You feel terrible for them. And you help them. But instead of them taking a lesson with the help, let's say they, they, they mess themselves up in a situation and they need the money badly. So you go and you help them out. You give them money. But then they act recklessly and they get themselves in again in a bad situation. They come to you a second time. And you tell them, listen, I helped you last time and you didn't listen. You just messed yourself up again. Why did you do that? And they start giving you all kinds of stories and this and that and you really feel bad again. So you help them a second time. Well, this happens week after week, after seven, eight weeks. You know what? I've helped you, I helped you, I helped you. It depends. Everybody's different. Some people are already the second week. Some person will, 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 will do it ten times. But after that, goodbye, over. Finito. It's finished. I don't have any more compassion. I don't have that infinite. I don't have, the person will say, I don't have that infinite, I don't have that infinite patience and infinite goodness. It ended. So that means that the compassion itself is limited. When it comes, however, to the 13 attributes of mercy, the compassion is an infinite compassion. It's only for it to come down into the world, it extends its energy down. It will, tr it will go through these narrow strands of here. That's actually the reason why it has to go through such a narrow strand. A here represents a very narrow, tiny little funnel. Not a big pipe. Obviously, if it's God's hair, you can fit like a gazillion universes into that tube. Understand? Because it's, it's Hashem's hair. But yet, the fact that it's called a hair, why are we calling it a hair? Why are we calling it a hair? Because we want to illustrate the idea that it's a tiny, tiny, little, little, little protrusion of energy. The energy is coming forth. The compassion of God is coming through a tiny funnel. Why? Precisely because the mercy is so powerful. It's infinite. It's gushing forth as an infinite power. If this energy would come down directly to the creation, it would electrocute all of creation instantly. It would blow us away because it's too much energy. 
So therefore, it needs to be constricted through the tiny little here. So you see the difference? Over here, the, the essence of the energy is infinite. It's only passed on to us through, through, through channels, through midot, through, through, through a midah, through a measure, which over here, the beard. However, on the lower level, the compassion that we're talking about earlier, Hashem's attribute of compassion, the attribute, not the, not the compassion of the crown, the compassion of the spherot, of the attributes, that's a measured compassion. So therefore, on Yom Kippur, when we want to get the infinite compassion, we speak of the 13 attributes of mercy. Oh, so now what he's saying over here is, the dew, remember we spoke about the dew, that's going to drop, that's going to drop down and it's going to resurrect the dead. That's the compassion. The dew, this great Rachmem Rabim, is the compassion, the infinite compassion, prior to it coming into the air. It's the pure, infinite, ain't self-compassion. It's not, it's not funneled in the hair. It's not yet. It didn't yet descend in the hair. It's pure, infinite compassion. It's the source of the 13 strands of hair, which, we, which we're pulling on on Yom Kippur. So let, let me really then say something like this. All year long, regularly in our relationship with God, we are constantly asking for mercy. Every day we're always asking, we always say in Ashrei, Chanun v'rachom Hashem, you are a merciful being, have mercy on us, have compassion to us. But all year long, we're only pushing which button? Where are we pumping when we are asking for God's compassion? We are relating to God's emotion of compassion, His limited compassion. We don't have access to the infinite compassion. Comes Yom Kippur, the month of Elul, it's a special relationship. The month of Elul, Yom Kippur, God allows us and to go much deeper. And since it's a time where, where we are repenting, and we're asking God to bring us back into His good graces and forgive us, we have special access to be able to reach God's hair, which hair? The beard, which are strands emanating from the infinite compassion. That's what happens every Yom Kippur. We receive God's infinite compassion, and how do we receive it? How do we receive it? We receive it through the hair. The 13 attributes of mercy. That happens every year, Yom Kippur. And then the big day will come, which is the big day, the big day after Mashiach comes, and it will come time for the resurrection, then God is going to release His infinite compassion, which is the source of the hair. Not the he- In other words, not the narrow little channels, not the beard. The dew. What's the dew? The dew is the direct flow of that racham, rachamim rabim, that infinite compassion, and infinite pity, that infinite mercy of God that's going to descend on the world, and it's going to resurrect all the dead. We'll soon understand why, but now I'm just painting the picture. So the highest revelation, the highest, highest revelation of divine compassion, that which has never ever been revealed yet, is going to be revealed after Mashiach comes, and that's the dew that's going to descend by Tchiyas Mason, 
And that comes from Rachamim Rabim, God's Himself, His true infinite and boundless compassion. And when Hashem will release that, it's going to resurrect the dead. So our Yom Kippur that we have, we're only having a little taste from that compassion, which is coming through the here. It's not the do, it's only being squeezed through the here. The do is even higher. Okay? That's the idea. The Indian, let's read it inside of here. Now, the red heifer, when we sprinkle the ashes of the red heifer, and we're, when a person is getting this treatment with water that's mixed with the ashes of the red heifer, contained in those waters is this, it's coming from the same place where the do is. It's coming from this infinite compassion. And for that reason, it can heal a person even from death. Because this infinite compassion is, as we said before, resurrects the dead. The Indian Kimachaya makes him the he, he enlivens the dead. Uberachamim Rabim is with this great mercy. Tal, this is the do. Shaasid Lahakis Bayasa Mason that he's going to resurrect the dead. And this is the source. See? All that this entire explanation that I gave is just to explain these three words. This is a source of Yud Gimel It's the source of the 13 attributes of mercy. There's the 13 attributes, and this is even higher than the 13 attributes, because this is infinite compassion. And like it says in the, in the discourse, there's another discourse when it says, God says, I've given, to, I've given you to eat the mon, which is the mana, which also comes from that very high place. Now let me just explain for a moment what does the resurrection of the dead have to do with um, this infinite compassion. See, the idea is as follows. Um, why can't we say that the resurrection of the dead, maybe it comes from God's infinite kindness. Why? Understand, when you have compassion on someone, what do you do? You give them. Compassion causes you to help them. So if, we, if we're dead, we're in trouble. Right? No one else can help us. We're dead already, right? So what happens now? The only one who can come to the rescue is the one who can give life. So why can't it come from God's kindness? He's kind, so he gives life. Saying, no, it's not God's kindness, it's God's compassion. So I was thinking about, I mean, from the mimer, I mean, I hope I'm saying this right. I mean, I'm, I, I, the mimer, in other memorandum, it says something, but this, this could be, I think this is what it, what it means. And that is, you know, a king, let's say you have this great, great, uh, um, it could be a king, it can be a great philanthropist, a great wealthy person who wants, to, who wants to do a lot of good, wants to do a lot of good in the world. Okay, so they're, they're, they're doing what? They're, they're, they're taking their money, they're taking their assets that they have, their resources that they have, and they're applying it to... To, uh, to, to help, to help communities, to help people, to help that are, are, are they're whatever, trying to make the lives of the less fortunate better, and however they're doing it. And that's their kindness. But in that kindness, it's like, where is that money going? Where is that money going to? It's going to, you know, whatever things they, they, that, that, that are, that are uh, you know, important to them. Whatever it is, that's what some people care about education, care about about poverty or whatever. Right? So they're, that's where they're, they're directing their resources to go and so on and so forth. 
and it's giving. But then there is the the. So it's not necessarily going to the person that is in the lowest, most pitiful, most horrible state. They like giving, so they give. They give where they're giving. What happens, however, is if the king or this great person, whatever, travels to Africa and comes to a place where there are little children that are starving, literally, you look at them, you're like, and you see the desperate poverty, you see the suffering, you see the, and it touches the person, or they see sick people, or ill people, or whatever it is, that are in, that are in such a pathetic state, and such a, and it moves them in a very deep place. So then what happens is they dafka want to take care of the ones that are the most destitute. Kindness is not necessarily doing that. Kindness is, I like to give. I like to share. You know what? I'm going to build a school. I'm going to do a thing. I like to give. Because I, like, I like sharing and giving. There's no connection precisely dafka, meaning to someone who's in a really, 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 really low and desperate state. See, compassion is empathy. I can sense the. Re- I can sense you. I can sense your pain. So therefore, the more painful the person is in, the lower, the more nebach that you can say, and the greater state of destitute the person is. That's where I want to help. So, in God's universe, okay, there are many needs. There are many things that everybody needs. The angels need life, and then there are higher angels, and the others need life, and there are. People that are, everybody's knocking on God's doors all the time. Who's knocking on God's door? Everybody. I turned to Hashem today, I had a problem, I, I needed to cover the bank, I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't have the money. I prayed to God, Baruch Hashem, by 5 o'clock it was covered. The Abishter answered, took care of me. Okay? I'm just one person. Around the world is hundreds of thousands, and if, or if only more people would know how to pray. But God takes care, He gives. He gives, he takes care, everybody turns. Is it on God's mind to take care? But then there are the real destitute, those who died already. They're like really in debt. They're really in trouble. They're dead. They're dead. That's, our, that's the biggest Rahman. These bodies, obviously the soul is alive, but the body is dead. So the general compassion, Hashem is busy taking care of that. He's feeding the angels, he's feeding the this, he's feeding the that, but the dead are dead. The chesed that's flowing from Hashem every day is not enlivening the dead. The kindness is God is writing checks. He's supporting all these, all these different aspects of creation that He's supporting and giving them life. But the dead, they're, they're like already... I'm saying they're so, they're so disconnected, they're in such a nebuchadnezzar that's, state. That's, it's like, oh, time will come when God will have compassion. And when his infinite and boundless compassion will be revealed. So that's going to reach even those that are in the lowest, lowest, lowest possible state. And what's the lowest possible state? That, they're, that there's no life there at all. Total death. And over there, from that compassion, that will bring down an energy and a life to enliven even these dead. Interesting, even though he doesn't say it over here, because he's not going in so much into the idea of Tchesanesim. But in the other discourse, he adds just something really, really special. When you say God is going to resurrect the dead, so what does it mean he resurrects the dead? 
Simply it means they died. Their soul went out of them. There's no life there. And then, um, and then, so God is not going to give new life. So life went away. A soul went away. It's dead. And now new life is going to come. But if it's totally new life that's going to come, then in what sense is it the same dead person who is now alive? It's the same body technically. It's not the same person. Because the previous life died completely, gone. The soul is gone. And, th- and what came in now is new life. Say, okay, it's the return of the soul to the body. But the Rebbe over there adds something really special. And he says it's not that the, he, doesn't, he doesn't say it out, he doesn't spell it out, but it, it, this is the explanation that he's giving. It's not that there is no life. The sages say that even in the that in every body, in every dead body, there remains a tiny little, 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 little spark of life. But that spark is too weak to enliven the body. There's a tiny trace of life left in the body. But that, 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 that spark is just one little spark. It's not enough to generate. It's like you have a battery that's like that's so dead it's like it's got one point you take your cell phone it's got one it's not gonna there's not enough energy to, to enliven your phone it's the juices that, there's something there but it's too little to an, an, animate the body when Mashiach comes God's intense revelation is gonna be so strong that even these 95% spark, dead sparks that have already so died and they're so exhausted and nothing are going to feel this intense flow of God's mercy and kindness that's going to be revealed everywhere and flowing into the universe so strong that these dead sparks are going to spring to life. They're going to get... It's like when you bring a big fire next to a spark. The spark gets excited by the big fire. This powerful surge of flow of energy into the universe is going to wake up the most distant sparks that they're going to spring to life. And when they spring to life and they're attaching themselves to this, this powerful flow of energy, and this is this Machaya Mason, Berachman Rabbah. Hashem enlivens the dead with this great compassion. So, um, fine. So, this is the infinite compassion that's going to be revealed when Mashiach comes and that's going to eliminate death. But, now he says, is there any way? that we can now stimulate this infinite compassion. Now the infinite compassion is going to be revealed when the time comes. When the time comes at the end of, crea- at the end of time, and hopefully very soon when Mashiach comes, Hashem's compassion will flow, this infinite dimension will be revealed, and all the dead will come alive. However, we're saying that what? At first, two things we're saying. Number one, we say that that is going to happen on the third day. Why is it going to take place on the third day? Secondly, we're saying that even today's days, before that revelation, when someone comes into contamination with death, they can take the ashes of the red heifer and remove the effects of death, which means that you can take the anti-death antidote. Antidote. What's the what's the anti-death? What's the thing that's against death? It's this energy of compassion that, that, that fights death, that enlivens even what is dead. But when we're able to capture it today as well. However, when, how? On the third day. Because that's when you sprinkle on the person who contained, 
became contaminated. When do you sprinkle on him? On the third day. That means that we have access to that. It's not just a futuristic thing. It's something we have access to. When do we have access to it? On the third day. Why do we have access to it on the third day? So we spoke earlier, the third day means the third emotion. And what's the third emotion? The third emotion is compassion. Oh, that means that through compassion, we can, ev- we can evoke this infinite compassion. Just understand something. This level of infinite compassion is not called the third. But it's not the third dimension. Let me explain. In the realm of emotions, there are three, seven emotions. Chesed, Gevurah, Teferes, Netzachot. This level of compassion is associated with God Himself. It's not one of the emotions. So it's not associated with the third day. It's not the third. Yet we say that on the third day, you can access it. And the answer is, just so we have to get a little, just a little Kabbalistic in looking and envisioning something. When we look at the divine attributes, you have Chesed, on the right side, Gevura in the left, Teferes is the middle, the center. And then you have Netzach, Hod, Yisod, which are, uh, Netzach is the right leg, Yisod is the, the Hod is the left leg, <coughs> Yisod, again in the middle. <coughs> so there's a Kabbalistic idea that says like this, that the middle channel, which is Teferes, and Yisod, these, and Das, which is higher, these things go all the way up into Keter, into the crown. The side channels, Chesed and Gevura, they're not, they're, they're, they're far more limited in their scope. Teferes, even though it's an attribute, but it's an attribute that has an antenna, it has its source, sourced in the crown in the infinite. Therefore, what does this say? What does this mean? that through the limited version of compassion, we can stimulate the infinite and boundless compassion. Now, we shouldn't look at these two, two levels as totally disconnected. The finite compassion of the attribute of compassion is somehow linked up with what? With the infinite and boundless and endless compassion. Therefore, if today's days we want to evoke a little bit of that infinite compassion, we can work through the attribute of compassion. Remember, there's the attribute of compassion, and there's the, the non-attributic dimension of compassion, which is infinite compassion. We might think that we have to wait for Yom Kippur for that to be revealed. There's no way we can access or stimulate it. Or eventually we have to wait till Tchias HaMesim, to the resurrection of the dead, and that's going to be revealed. He says, no. On the third day, which is the third attribute, you can reach up through the attribute of compassion, you can reach to the non-attributic infinite compassion of God. And he's going to translate that, and let me just explain that what that means in literal me and you everyday life. This is a Kabbalistic idea, because these are very deep Kabbalistic ideas, but yet he gives an explanation. It means simply that if I am in trouble spiritually or in my life, and I find myself being feeling very not in a good place, and I and I and I feel like I'm like blah, like there's no whether I'm depressed or sad or down or or or, or just no no excitement towards anything holy and godly, and I I'm stuck and I can't get out of it. So here's the idea. 
if I can only start thinking about how, how great my soul is, how great my neshama really is, my soul really is, and where it comes from. It's a piece of God from above. And how, God forbid, such a high, elevated, powerful, godly soul like mine has fallen into such a rut hole, has fallen into such a pathetic state in which I've lost all my energy and all my life and I'm spiritually dead and down and in the muck and stuck and then I start having pity for my soul. I feel pity for my soul and I can cry for my soul. If I can bring myself to feel such pity for my soul that I can cry for my soul, I'm evoking compassion. I'm feeling compassion for my own neshama. My emotion of compassion is connected to the divine emotion of compassion. When I'm feeling compassion on my soul, I cause the attribute of compassion to be stimulated. So God has compassion on the soul. But it's only the attribute of compassion. As we said before, in order to resurrect the dead, the attribute of compassion is not enough. We have to reach the infinite and boundless and endless compassion of God, and only from there can my soul be resurrected. But that's what we learned. That's the point we're just learning. That the attribute of compassion is connected to the non-attributic element of compassion. And therefore, even though I'm only stimulating a little bit compassion, I'm feeling a little bad for my neshama, and it hurts me, and I'm feeling pained by it, and I'm feeling sorrowful for my neshama, and I'm crying, if I can bring myself to literally cry for my soul, that sense of mercy does unbelievable things. Because when a person weeps for their, for their spiritual state, for, their, for them being in a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a non-good place, that itself evokes, stimulates, and causes a flow of infinite compassion from the Ein Sof, and that's the place that brings healing, rectification, and takes away the death. Literally, it resurrects the death. It takes you, and, 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 and that's why for a person who has come into contamination with death, which spiritually can mean, as we spoke before, depression, sadness, all these things that are associated with it, how do you jumpstart your soul? You evoke compassion. So that's the first thing. We, remember, we, that's explaining the third day. We didn't even get to the seventh day yet. We only speak in the third. So now let's read it inside. Teferes, now the attribute. Tough, tough is, the, is, is an acronym for the word Teferes. Teferes, Teferes, which is the attribute of mercy. It's the attribute of Yaakov. It goes up to the crown. That means even though in itself is limited, it's finite compassion, however it's associated and touching, it reaches and it touches the crown, which is the infinite compassion. Pchinas rachmim rabin. It's the idea of abundant rachamim. Besoid, this is the secret. Of briach hatichon, hamavriach There is a verse saying, that says by the mishkan, by the tabernacle, it speaks about different pipes that held together, bars that kept the Mishkan together, the walls of the Mishkan together. And these bars were like going through. There were three such bars. 
And the middle bar, only the middle bar, the one that went in the center, went from one end of the Mishkan all the way to the other. All the other bars were only half bars. They went a half a wall, a half a wall, and a half a wall, a half a wall, and a half a wall. But then there was one long bar that went across the entire Mishkan, the middle bar. And the verse says the middle bar goes from one end to the other end. So the Kabbalists who translate the Torah not, in its, not only in its physical meaning, but in a mystical, godly explanation. They say like this, the three, the, three, the three bars are referring to the three channels. The right side, chesed. The left side, gevura. And the middle one, which is compassion, rachamim. And they're saying that what? The middle bar is the only one that reaches all the way, all the way, all the way up into the Ein Sof, into the infinite, and goes all the way, all the way, all the way down to the lowest place. So therefore, and that's what we see. The infinite compassion, only the infinite compassion does what? When a king feels compassion, and who does he feel compassion for? Because he's so high, who does he feel compassion for? For the one that's the lowest of the low. So compassion connects the highest point to the lowest point. It's amazing, because you can have a king, you can have a wealthy, you have people, I'll give you an example. People that are so wealthy, they're so, they have such affluence, and they live in the most like crazy like comforts and luxury and everything. And it's precisely a very exalted person who lives this, that can, and you would think like, you know, they, they, they don't even understand, they have no appreciation with a regular, ordinary, struggling individual. Yet, if someone is a real, exalted, elevated being, if he sees someone suffering, someone literally in the dumps, in literally in the homeless person in the, in the Shmuel, because of his exaltedness and his very, very high state, he feels that's the compassion that connects the highest to the lowest. He will take care to, tr- to help this homeless person out of his misery and out of his state to try to have a better life because of his infinite heights. So is he saying over here, uh, the, the middle bar of Yaakov, the middle bar, so in Zohar, in the end of Pashas Truma, it discusses this idea. Therefore, and this is the meaning of on the third day. What's the third day? The third day is the third attribute. Dafka, Daika, Yekimenu. That's the day that God is going to make the resurrection. Meaning and concept. It's through the attribute of compassion in which we reach beyond the attribute to the Ein Sof compassion. And that is what resurrects the dead. He later explains that the three days are the two days of Rosh Hashanah and the third day is Yom Kippur. It's a set of three days, which is the same idea. Yom Kippur, even, even the person who's totally dead gets another jolt of life. Yom Kippur, we rejuvenate our souls. Even if we've been dead, we can like rejuvenate it because it's the third day. It's the day of compassion. When this is also the meaning where it says, I will carry you not I will carry you, I have carried you, God says, on the wings of eagles. God describes, when he took us out of Egypt, he says, I carried you on the wings of eagles. That's interesting. We know that in heaven, there is what's called the divine chariot. And it has four beasts, which represent, 
spiritual angels, angelic beings. They're the four beasts. On one side of the chariot was a lion on the right side. On the left side was an ox. That's the vision that Yechezkel, Ezekiel had. On one side he saw a lion, on the left side he saw an ox. And then in the other direction, in the middle, there was a, an eagle. And then there was a, a human face as well. So what are these three things? So we know the lion represents, is the energy of kindness. For whatever reason, I know it sounds strange, a lion doesn't look like the kindest being. The lion is the energy of chesed. The ox is the energy of gevura on the left side. And the eagle is Yaakov, compassion. So when God says, I have carried you on the wings of eagles, what does that mean? When God came down to Egypt, how did he, why did he redeem us? The redemption came as a result of divine compassion. That's what it says. It says, says God says, I heard your cries, and you touched my compassion. You've evoked within me my mercy. When Hashem says you evoked my mercy means, and that's how he took us out of Egypt. So it was what lifted us up, and we were spiritually depraved. We were in this spiritually, in a, physically we were on a horrible state, but spiritually we were a total mess in Egypt. And then 40 days later we received the Torah. We received the highest, the, the greatest. We were taken literally from the dumps, from the dumpster into the palace, to the highest, highest place. What was the energy? What was that force? What caused that? What motivated to pick the person up? Imagine taking someone out of literally, he's dirty, he's filthy, he's smelly, he's sitting in a, in a dumpster, he's filled with whatever, it stinks, it's horrible. And a king goes and he takes him out of the dumpster, washes him off, cleans him up, brings him to the palace, dresses him up in, 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 in fine clothing, and has him sit right next to him. In the, in the, uh, on right next to the throne, the second right next. I mean, it's ridiculous. What happened? The king had compassion. Something about him evoked compassion. That's what God says. I carried you. On the wings of eagles. Eagle is compassion, as we said earlier. The wings of eagles means it was my compassion that went and brought and, 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 and lifted you up. Which is the face of the, the, the eagle. Pchinas rachamim, which is the rachamim. But the eagle is only limited compassion. Through the limited compassion, we evoke the rachamim rabim. Lo'oire rachamim, which is to evoke compassion. Oh, you read the sanefesh. When one evokes, what did we say earlier? Even though I can only evoke a very limited kind of compassion on my own soul. But when I do that, that evokes, stimulates above the attribute of, of compassion which in turn reaches eventually the infinite compassion and stimulates that. What does the Pasuk say? I carried you on the wings of eagles, and I brought you to me. I brought you to me. To me means God Himself. Where in that level there is eternal life. I brought you to my very, very being. Kenesha, there's another verse. That says, Kenesher, like an eagle, Yo'ir Kinoi, like an eagle arouses his nest. Yisa'eyu, he carries his little eaglets, whatever they're called. Alev Rasai, on its, on its wings. Kamashakasim Makamachar has stated elsewhere that that's a, 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 a metaphor for divine compassion. The 
But it says two things. It says that when Mashiach will come during the time of the resurrection, two things will happen. Number one, he will resurrect us. Even something that was dead will spring to life. That's the divine compassion that comes down to jump. You shut the. Yeah. Oops. No, you're good. Yeah. Um, even um, one thing is to be to be a, that even that which died already should come to life but then there's the next thing after Mashiach comes we're not going to die anymore that means he today we're also alive someone who didn't die so we're alive great but the life that we are living, what kind of life are we living? What kind of life do we live? We live a life that expires. Follow? The very energy that we have, any person who was born from when, besides Adam, who wasn't born, but any person that was born from a mother, I guess, from that day, day and on, we all live. But from the moment we live, the clock is ticking. Life is expiring. Because we only have measured life. We don't have infinite life. We have measured. So when Mashiach will come, God will re-spark those who died. He will give them another. Oh, so that, but, but that really hasn't gotten us too far. Why didn't it get it too far? Because then we'll die again. Because we see that we're, we're alive, and yet, we, and yet we have to die. We don't live forever. So what do we gain? We're just going to give them another shot at life. But that's not good enough. The next thing is, that the life that's going to be then revealed in the bodies is going to be a type of life that doesn't expire. It's going to be eternal, everlasting life. That means that this Rachmim Rabin, that for that, you have to, so we have to really look into this great compassion more than just, more than just a power. Follow? The, this, this infinite compassion is not only enough that the infinite compassion descends down and gives us a jolt. As I say earlier, it sparks the spark. It sparks the spark. The spark comes back to life. Very good, but it's going to... There's another thing. What does God say? I carried you on the wings of eagles, the eschem, and I bring you a lie to me. What does that mean? It means that this very, very, this infinite compassion becomes our life source. And this infinite compassion is life what did we say before? Why is it not called an attribute? Why is it not called an attribute? Because it's not measured. It's God's life. It's life as it is emanating directly from Hashem. It's not yet measured. If it's not measured, it's forever. So let's put it this way. The first time God gave us life, He didn't do it through compassion. Hashem created the world because He wanted to do what we spoke. He did it through kindness. Hashem was kind and that's how He gave it. That's how he created us. Kindness is more, of a, is more of a projection outward. It's a ray. It's a projection outward. Compassion is deep. Compassion is you. Especially when we're speaking about this compassion, not the attribute of compassion. We're talking about God's essential, infinite and boundless compassion. When Mashiach will come, Hashem is going to enliven us from his compassion. And it makes a little sense just to understand this. 
Initially, when God created the world, there was no one to be compassionate on. He created us because he wanted to be kind and create. But once he created us and has put us through the ringer, he had a desire, whatever it is. Life is very special, but at the same time, look how much suffering there is. But look, at the very end of time, God is going to see, have compassion on his creations. He's going to enliven us from his compassion. And when we're going to be enlivened from his compassion, we're going to be receiving life from a far more inner, deeper, more core essential place in God. And then, just like he is forever, we are forever. So the saying over here is, number one, Yekimenu is going to enliven us. Number two, Venichia, we will live of before him. The word in front of him can also mean Lefanov means in his pnimius. Pnimius means in the most inner, inner part of God is going to be giving us life. And what's the inner, inner part of Hashem? Hashem as He is for Himself, which is infinite. So that's the idea. Um, it's going to be revealed. Pnimius atekiomen, the innermost of God's crown, which is called the Ancient of Days. It's a place that's beyond the shattering of the vessels from where death comes from. It's a Kabbalistic idea, which is too much to explain right now, that there is, all death comes from the concept of God emanating light out of himself into vessels. Those vessels couldn't handle the light and they broke. And that's the source of death. Those shattering of those vessels is the, short, is the source of death. This whole idea that there is life and there is death and all that, it's all related to the shattering of the vessels. But that begins with God emanating energy outside of him, so to speak, into vessels, into containers. <clears throat> when Mashiach comes, Hashem is going to enliven us from a place prior to this projection of energy into vessels. He's going to give us life from, a, from, from his very, very self. It's almost like we are going to come totally attached to him. Not that he is projecting energy out of him. Then, the vessel. See, as long as we're being created outside of God, then what? We said earlier, if he gives us too much energy, he has to give us finite energy. Let's understand something. Once we are, being, we are outside of Hashem, he has to give us finite energy. Because if he gives us infinite energy, we collapse. It's too much for us. So he has to limit the energy. If he limits the energy, we die. Why do we die? There's two ways... Either or, it's a, it's, it's a lose-lose situation in the sense that either way we have to die. If he will release his infinite energy into us, then we die, because why? Too much energy, we collapse, we can't handle it. If he's going to contract the energy to be finite, then finite energy expires. Understand? So either or, it's death. Tikkun, that's the difference between tohu and tikkun. In the world of tohu, God released his energy as is, boom, everything smashed. So what does Hashem do in the end? He, he makes what's called the world of tikkun. What's the world of tikkun? He contracts his energy and gives only measured life. Oh, measured life also doesn't last forever. Why? Because it's measured. So what's the choice? So how do we live forever? The answer is, if we can't live outside of Him, we live as part of Him. That's the difference. And when we live as part of Him, then, he's not, then we are Him, then we can live forever. So the world is going to, and that's what compassion is. Compassion creates a connection between the one who is having compassion and the one that's being compassioned. 
to the point that the two of them are connected in a very deep way. So only after Mashiach will come, that which is beyond and we will live on forever. Now we'll also understand what it says by the Akedas Yitzchak when, when Avram Avinu took... By the way, I just want to let everybody know. This discourse is a very small discourse, but it's very, 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 very cryptic. It's very short little things. He's not, he's not at all elaborate like he does in most times. That's why it's five pages usually. And here it's all concentrated in a few little words. So that's why it's a little hard to, to really understand the flow of, of, uh, of ideas. There's a lot of ideas over here all coming together, especially if you're not familiar with a lot of these concepts. But it's okay. Even if you hear just a little bit and, a, and some of it goes in, Eventually, the more you learn, the more your mind, the more you get familiar with the concepts, and the more they, the puzzle comes together. I'll just give you that as a. So here, when it says but this is the meaning of ashlishi. On the third day, Oh, so it says by the Akedas Yitzchak when Avram took Yitzchak for the Akeda. When Avram was taking Yitzchak for the binding of Yitzchak, it says they were walking, and on the third day, he saw the place from a distance. So again, we have reference to the third day. So the Rebbe is over here, the Alter Rebbe is going to connect this idea. What does it mean? He saw the place from a distance. What he's basically teaching us is that through evoking compassion, we can connect to God other ways than compassion. We can connect to God by meditating on God's greatness and understanding, getting an appreciation on Hashem, and as a result of that, attaching ourselves to Him. Right? That's love. How do we create love? How do we love Hashem? The Rambam says, he says, by meditating on Hashem's greatness, we will love Him. You can meditate on God's greatness, and you can fear Him. That's great. Avram Yitzhak. These are the different ways of serving God. He wants to explain why the best way, and the deepest way, and the highest way is through compassion. That's why as much as we gain by connecting to God through the other attributes, we go much farther through compassion. And that could be also the reason, I'm, 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 I'm taking a little bit of a leap over here, it can be the reason also why today's days most of our connection to God is through compassion. We don't really have so much energy, love, and love, love energy inside of us. They used to, when they were more pure souls, people had a greater capacity to love God to really appreciate, learn, understand, and really love. Today's days, it's very difficult. Our, our hearts are so physical, so materialistic. It's hard for us to get an excitement of love towards Hashem. And the same is also fear. But one thing we do have, we can cry for our distance. We can feel broken from the fact that we're not connected. But guess what the Rebbe says over here? He says, you know what? When you serve God with this brokenness, with, this discon- with feeling disconnected, feeling so insignificant, feeling so small, feeling compassion for yourself, you're evoking Hashem's energy much higher than you can attach yourself to through understanding, through loving. Through loving, you can only reach that level that you can appreciate. When you're, when you're evoking compassion, you're causing God to lift you up. And where does God lift you up? He lifts you up far, far, far higher than you can ever reach with what? 
with your own understanding of how much, how God great is, how great God is. See? Through loving Hashem, through meditation and that, you can only reach as far as a human being can reach. How far can you reach? Everybody can reach, only a certain measure to it. It's possible that the reason why we have so much, we fail so much these days. We try to be a good and we fail. It's because Hashem wants to bring us to that brokenness. Because in that brokenness, He can pick us up. Put it this way. It said, I'll give you, I'll give you a perfect example for it. Avram and Yitzchak and Yaakov, our patriarchs, all served God in a very great way. Then what happened to the Jewish people? We, things were going so good. We lived in the land of Canaan. And was the land of Israel. Okay? We had Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov. We had these great teachers. Why did Hashem make that we should, that Joseph should be sold as a slave? Jews should go down to Egypt. And all of their spiritual accomplishments should disintegrate completely. Does that make any sense? Why couldn't God, you have already, you finally have a tribe. You have 12 tribes. Let's build. We have, a, we have the building blocks. Let's build. Why take the Jewish people and send them to Egypt and destroy whatever you've built? doesn't make any sense from a godly perspective. Why? The answer is simple. The answer is not so simple, but based on this, we get a little bit of it. The Torah that we got by, Har, by, by Sinai, by Har Sinai, is much greater. The connection we got to God by Sinai is much greater than Avram had, Yitzhak and Yaakov. It says that they only had the external, external, external little ray of the Torah. They didn't have the real Torah. We got the real Torah. How did we get the real Torah? You know what the Torah is? The Torah is the infinite light of God. How were we able to get God's Torah? How? The answer is, had we continued living in the land of Israel, progressing and progressing and progressing, we would only get where? As far as humans can progress. Great, we had great teachers. Great, we would have learned. We would have done that, but we would have always remained. You know what we needed more than anything else? You know what we needed? We needed a broken heart. And that we got in Egypt. When we, got, when we went to Egypt, we went through such suffering and such pain and such spiritual complete disintegration that we cried for our, for our state, for our lowly state. That evoked God's compassion. And the Abishter came down from his infinite heights to lift us up. Once he lifts us up, he's lifting us up much higher than we can go through our, through our understanding. Understand? That's the example. So now it says the same thing by Avram Avinu. You hear? It says the same thing by Avram. What does it say by Avram? That Avram, Avram was going for three days, and on the third day he saw the place from afar. Simply it means he sees the mountain where he... That's, that's the place where, right? He's looking from afar. He's looking at, um, he's looking and he sees the place where the temple is going to stand, where the base of Middash is going to stand, and he does. But there's a deeper meaning. May Rachok means Avram is seeing something that's very, very far. What's far? What does it mean? There are levels of the divine that are called far. You know why they're called far? They're called far because the mind can't, can't apprehend it. Anything that you can apprehend with your mind, anything that you can conceive, anything you can understand is called close. Because you can understand it. But something that transcends your understanding, something that's infinite, something that's bigger, that's called far. Because it's far from your grasp. Right? It's far from your grasp. 
what was, what, what was the novelty of what happened by Avram? Avram was able to see something that until then he was never able to see. Usually Avram can only see what is close. He can't see what is far. That means he's able to see godly. Avram, Avram is a big tzaddik, the father of the Jewish people. He was able to perceive and understand, but what can he perceive and understand? That which is perceivable. That which is understandable. That is God's contracted light. Not God's infinite light that he can't see. It's infinite, it's beyond. However, on the third day, he was able to see that which is far. That means that Avram was now able to reach a very far, he was able to connect to something that was to that point utterly unconnectable. Now why was Avram at this moment able to reach such a distant place? Because it was the third day. Which means Avram was not connecting through his love, he was connecting through his broken heart. He was connecting through compassion, through rachamim. And rachamim, that's the whole point over here, Compassion takes us to the most inner, deepest place. So you can have his, you have a Jew. You can, you can spend your entire year doing mitzvahs and learning Torah and making powerful spiritual connections. It doesn't come close to the spiritual heights you arrive to on, Rosh Hashanah, on the 10 days of repentance when you're so heartbroken about your spiritual state or whatever, and you break down crying for your soul, at that one day, you move to spiritual heights, to places infinitely higher than you've accomplished all year long with all your Torah and with all your mitzvahs. Because you're there you're only touching that which is close. You're not reaching that which is far. That's what the verse is saying. Bayom hashlishi. On the third day, which the third day represents compassion, we said before, because there are three attributes, kindness, severity, and then compassion. On the third day, Avram, who is the attribute of love, but now he's using not his attribute because he's operating on the third day. Avram usually operates on his energy, which is love. Now Avram is not operating on his love, he's operating on compassion. He's using the third day. And that is using Yaakov's method, not his own method. You hear what's going on? Yaakov, Avram is using, the man of love is using not his own instruments of connection. He's borrowing Yaakov's tools to connect to Hashem. And that's taking him to be able to see that which is distant and that which is far, which he till now was never able to see. That's what he's saying. And this is also the meaning of on the third day. He saw the place from far. This is the same idea of what it says in a pasuk. That Yaakov redeems Avraham. There's a verse that says, Hashem says to Yaakov that redeems Avraham. Which means that when Avraham's energy kind of ends, Yaakov can redeem Avraham and take Avraham further than where Avraham can go on his own. Yaakov can pick up Avram. What does that mean? Compassion can raise your love. and Compassion can raise your love to a much higher level. You have love, but your love is only connecting to a much lower level. But when you evoke compassion, you can elevate your Avram, your love, to a much higher place. Rochok means that which is far from grasping. Amarti, I said, it's like it says, 
Shlomo HaMelech said about the red heifer, he said, every mitzvah I can understand. This is what King Solomon, the wisest of all men said. He wants to prove now that distant means something that you can't understand. That's called distant. So he brings something related to this parsha. It says that Shlomo HaMelech understood every mitzvah, was able to crack the code of every mitzvah. When he came to the red heifer, he threw up his hands, he says, I thought I could figure this one out. It's distant for me. What does he mean? What does he mean when he says it's distant? It's beyond my grasp. So all you, what do you see from here? That when you say something is distant, spiritually means you can't understand. So he's applying this to what we just said in the last verse. Avram saw what is distant means he connected to what usually is unconnectable. Why? Because he's, But really there's another secret over here. He's bringing the verse of Shlomo Melech in regards to Paraduma, the red heifer. Because the red heifer is the one mitzvah where the energy of the mitzvah is coming from that which is distant. Because the red heifer connects us to that divine compassion. Which this divine compassion is an utterly mysterious and infinite place. And the red heifer comes from that place. It's the third day. That's compassion. There's a, there's a verse that says like this. This mitzvah that I am commanding you today is not distant from you, Hashem says. This commandment that I'm commanding you today, which is the commandment of tshuva, the commandment of repentance, of doing tshuva, is not far from you, and it's not beyond you. The matter is very close to you, to be able to perform the mitzvahs. So the explanation, the deeper explanation is, when it says it's not far, in the deeper meaning is, it is far. But through tshuva, you can, you can go. It's not far from you. I give, I, I've empowered you to do tshuva. Something that is really, really, really distant and far, you can attain because I'm giving you the ability to do tshuva. And through tshuva, you can go to a very far place. And this is the same idea. Because what's tshuva? What's repentance? Repentance is when you feel inadequate. You feel low. You feel like a failure. You feel like you've not done what you need to do. And you're heartbroken. And you evoke. And according to the Alter Rebbe, according to the author of the uh, Tanya that we're learning now, according to the Alter Rebbe, the main element in Tshuva is two things. Number one is that from now on you're going to behave better. You make a, a firm resolve, you're going to change. But that's not enough in Tshuva. Tshuva involves also a deep heartbrokenness to a point where, and, you, and, and a very strong feeling of you have compassion. It's not self-pity. You're, you're feeling pity for your soul, for your neshama. You're thinking, look what I've done to my poor, beautiful soul. God imbued in me a soul that's a piece of Him from above that's beyond all the world. It's higher than angels. It comes from worlds of... beyond worlds, beyond... It is a piece... It's, it's ain't so. The neshama is so great. And look what I've done to it. I put it into my body and, and I've so battered and abused and broken, suffocated, strangled, 
made my soul not and didn't feed it. I didn't teach a Torah. I didn't do mitzvahs. And I got it involved in all kinds of stuff that are totally antithetical to holiness, against God's will. I made her dirty. I poisoned her. And she's, look a pity about my poor soul. And a person feels that and gets heartbroken and cries for their soul. So what happens is when you're crying for your neshama, you are connecting to that which is distant. That's what it says, Ki mitzvah hazos, this mitzvah, from you it's not far. It is far. But, you're, but what are you connecting to when you're doing tshuva? You're connecting to God's infinite compassion. And from there it repairs everything because Hashem's compassion can fill every place that is lacking life. He can rejuvenate in one second. His waters, His life-giving waters come flowing onto your soul. And in one second you filled up what, you know, I'll give you an example. It's like places where there is no water. And they have to like work and work and bringing water. And you can schlep and bring and pour buckets and buckets and buckets and here and there. And then even with all the irrigation, all the bringing of the water, you fill up the, the uh, whatever, to only to a certain, to a certain degree. Because how much can you bring already? How much can you haul it? But then comes the monsoon, the big rains, and it rains and pours for three days. And suddenly it's all the rains pass. And what happens? Everything is full in one second. You know, one second. It's like filled completely everything. So that's the idea. What takes a whole year of Torah and mitzvahs to fill one intense moment of tshuva. You bring all that powerful rains down of godly energy and godly life and fill all the deficiencies. Everything gets filled. Why? Because through compassion, you reach... To evoking compassion, you reach the Ein Sof. We're going on the top of the second column. It says about it on the mitzvah of tshuva. Even When you're doing tshuva, you're reaching God's crown. You're reaching the transcendental. Makif Elyon, the supernal makif. This encompassing energy. Which is called far, it's called distance. Nevertheless, it's close to you. It's close. Why? Because God says, I lift you up. When you feel compassion for your soul and you evoke my compassion, then I lift you up. On the wings of eagles. And I bring you a lie to me. I bring you a lie to me. A lie means to my very self, to my very essence, to my very being. Okay, so till now we learned about the, the power of tshuva. We learned the power of compassion. Now he's going to connect it all to the red heifer. Because he says the red heifer is also... The whole, the red heifer, the paraduma, which we read about this parasha, is talking about a situation where a person died. And spiritual death means sin, because every sin is a disconnection with God. And burning the red heifer really is the process of tshuva. When you're taking, I'm not going to get into it, but the evil inclination, Yetzirah, and everything evil in the world, is mainly primarily associated with the left side. Because I'm not going to get into it, in the Klippa it says the unholy derives its energy from the left side above 
So, and we know that in the chariot, there is a cow on the left. So in, what is death? The sages say like this. The root of death is really sin. Sin is the source, okay? Sin, <laughs> sin is the source of death. When we want to fix death, we have to really fix sin. What's the source of sin? Yetzirah, evil inclination. What's the source of the Yetzirah? It's our animal soul. We have an animal soul. What's the source of our animal soul? From that supernal cow that's in the atrium, in the divine, um, in the divine uh, uh, chariot. Now I'm not going to get into explaining all of this. It's not. It's not for now. When they took the red heifer and they burnt it down to ashes, it really means the destroying of all the, all the sinful thoughts and ideas that bring us to sin. Okay? It's the burning down of all that stuff. You're getting to the root of unholiness, destroying it. Okay? That's why the work of burning the red heifer is really an, a frustration. And how does that translate in your life is when a person looks at himself and he wants to... He has that energy of bitterness and frustration about all the stuff that I've done that I shouldn't have done. All the mistakes that I've made. That's the burning down of the red heifer. Which is an, a process of tshuva. That's what tshuva is. Right? If, what happens once you burn the cow? The next thing that happens is you take, in, in the red heifer, they have to take living water, spring water, and mix it with the ashes. So in the literal story, in the, little, in the literal mitzvah, you, have the, you burn the cow, and then you go get water from a spring, and you mix the spring water into the, into the ashes, and you sprinkle it on the person. But according to the Hasidic interpretation, when you are active in burning the cow, which is the tshuva experience, you will evoke automatically the spring water. The spring water is the same idea of these waters of this great compassion. That will, your process of bitterness and frustration and evoking the mercy evokes the spring water. Mayim Chayim, it's called living waters. That's why it's the antidote to death. It's living waters. It's life, right? it's, it's sourced in God Himself. It's also true. Lisroif to burn, kolahirurin, to burn all the thoughts, bishin, all the unclean thoughts. Kamashakasama Makamachar stated elsewhere. Vayadezan through this Nimshach Mayim Chayim, we pump out, we draw forth superb living waters, mibchinas, from that level as what we said earlier, from that which is distant. Echkamavihirachaika, from the infinite dimensions of God, from that which is Shlomo Melech says. The mitzvah of Paraduma comes from a place that's distant. He can't understand that it. it's beyond wisdom. Meaning it's beyond knowledge. It's beyond all rational thinking. It's from the infinite and boundless level of God's light, which is this infinite compassion. And what happens? The one that is distant becomes close. Like by Avram Avinu. On the third day, he can see the far place. The place is really far, but he can get close to it. So l'rachayk shanasekarev. The one that is distant becomes close through this process of tshuva. Now the Alter Rebbe finally brings it to explain that this applies to us. Because even though we don't have a temple today, and we don't have these ashes, and we don't have the water. 
And he also explains, dead, death, as I said earlier, doesn't only mean a physical dead body. It means spiritually, psychologically, when you find yourself being dead in your life. Which happens to us a lot of times. We just become lifeless. We lose our energy. We're like, well, we're just... And we're just uninspired. And sometimes it doesn't go away. You feel like your heart is cold. And, and you don't like it, but you know that that's your state you're in. You're not happy by the fact that you're so icy towards spiritual things, towards Hashem, towards... So what happens then? So he says, And just like the sprinkling which one uses to purify from the dead, the same way a person can enliven his own soul, if a person's neshama got entangled and stuck in the foolishness, in the vanities of the world, Instead of a Jew being fully excited about mitzvahs, Torah and mitzvahs, when our heart gets stuck in, the, in, in, in all the foolish things of the physical world, that's called death. Because v'nechsheves kameis, and that's called being dead, because the physical material pleasures of the world that are not attached to serving God are really just temporal. They, they give us excitement just on the moment. There's nothing really... Without life, without meaning is really a life of death. That's why the sages say that the wicked, even while they're alive, they're dead. It's not real life. It's just superficial life. There's nothing real there. There's nothing deep. It's empty. It's hollow. It's shallow. It's, it's not life. Like it says, He placed the wicked in their grave. What does that mean? As all the sages say, The wicked in their life they're called dead. So what happens when a person finds himself in that state? That I'm, I feel myself so stuck in, in, in just physical pleasures and I don't have a spiritual yearning. I don't have a, a spiritual life. My life has become so, so dead in the material stuff. So how do you get out of it? So you have to sprinkle upon yourself the water. You can access this water. These when a person evokes, you have to use, but when do you sprinkle? On the third day. Third means what? We said before, is the mercy. Through evoking the great mercy, from above. Therefore, that's why we sprinkle on the third day. Through this, that a person evokes compassion on his soul. God, with your great mercy, you have mercy on me. And we say in Davide, and you, great merciful, forgive the sin. So then we evoke mercy, and that mercy and that compassion can re enliven us from those waters of God's infinite compassion, which has the power to resurrect the dead. Good. All of this explained what does it mean to be sprinkled on, this, on the third day. But we also say that we, in order to be cleansed, you need to be sprinkled on the third and on the seventh. So what's the seventh day? So there has to be one more thing that a person can do, or probably we need to do both in order to be healed and come out of death. 
And the seventh, and that's the seventh one. What's the seventh attribute? The second attribute is the attribute of kingship. And to us, it means that God is our king. And how do we relate when we... When, see, when we want to connect to Hashem through the attribute of kindness, means that we're, we're, we're motivated by love of Hashem. Now, in order to love God, you have to have some kind of a grasp in, in, in Hashem's greatness you can love. In order to, and then to fear God also. You're motivated by fear, which is an appreciation of Hashem's greatness. So on all the attributes, it evolves some kind of an appreciation. Then there is the sixth, the seventh attribute. What's the seventh attribute? God is your king. And therefore what? How do you relate to God as a king? I am his, and, and therefore what am I? I'm his servant. Now if I'm God's servant, what does that mean? I am subservient and subjugated to his will. Now, a true servant doesn't have to understand why they are doing what they're doing. A true servant does what they do just because the master told them to do so, the king told them to do so. It's very, very tough. We like doing things that we understand and we can appreciate why we're doing them. But to do something just because God said so, without any explanation, without any reason, with simple obedience, no one likes obedience. We don't like obedience. We like to do. I don't mind being religious as long as what? As it gives me a thrill. As I can understand it, I can appreciate it, I can love it. Doing, being, be, being observant just because God said so and I have to listen is not, is, is not exciting. But guess what? That's the way to get yourself out of death. If you find yourself in a death situation, the surest way out just start doing mitzvahs, even if you're not feeling anything. Just do it because you're supposed to do it. Do it with simple obedience. You know why? Because when you're surrendering yourself completely to God and doing His will because He said so, then you're transcending the entire realm of reason, of logic. Because you're not using your logic. Usually you're motivated by logic, by understanding, appreciation. What you're really doing is you're completely, completely going beyond yourself. You're completely moving beyond your, your existence, beyond your metzias, beyond yourself. And then, so then what happens? Then you're actually touching Hashem Himself. Let me explain it now. Let, 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 let's read inside a little bit what He's saying and then we'll understand it much better. And on the seventh day, Malchus is to serve God through the attribute of Malchus. For who? Pchenas David, and that is David. David is Malchus. You serve God like David served God. And now in the seven Ushpizin, the Ushpizin are the guests that we get on Sukkot. So we know every day Sukkot, another one of the guests come. So we know that the third day Yaakov comes, and the seventh day, King David comes, Hashanah Rabbah. Ubezayin Ushpizin, Yaakov Uakimel, Yaakov is the third, Vedavad Uashvi, and David is the seventh. Parenthetically, I don't know why he says the sentence. I mean, there are so many other ways he could have told us. We know Yaakov is the third, and, and David is the seventh. Why does he need to bring me the Ushpizin on Sukkot? Like, why does it have to do with Sukkot? The Ushpizin, that's where we find, but that's just a question that's been bothering me, I don't know. 
But in any case, I mean, there must be a deeper reason why he's throwing in Sukkot over here. I mean, the idea that Yaakov is number three and David is number seven is a concept that's all over Kabbalah and all over Hasidus, all over. Why suddenly is like his proof that when it says the third day and the seventh day, it's Yaakov and David because the Yushpizen is on Sukkot. I don't, I don't understand why, but okay. But in any case, David is the seventh. David was a, a, a servant of God. Because he's David, my servant. What's so special with servitude? So here's a very interesting thing. When you, when a, when a person serves, is an inter- the sages say an interesting thing. Sages say, hey, hey, this is an amazing thing. A servant, a servant loses, has no identity at all. Because the identity of the servant is the master. Because if I'm, if 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 everything, if if what I am doing, I'll give you a simple example. True, a true servant. See, if I pick up this cup, why am I picking up this cup? Because I'm motivated to pick up the cup for whatever reason. I want this cup. So the act of me picking up the cup is is an expression of me. If this cup is not being picked up because I'm picking it up, it's me. How about if I took your hand and I and I and I'm forcing your hand to go like this and pick up the cup? So then even though you technically did it, because you're the one who picked up the cup, but the act is still not yours because it wasn't motivated by you, it was motivated by the one who took your hand and made you pick up the cup. So the picking up the cup is attributed to the one who sent because the act was stimulated not in you and through you, it was stimulated outside of you by who? By whoever it was that was compelling your arm to pick up the, the cup. Even in, in laws of Torah, you will not be held culpable for doing something. If someone grabbed your hand, God forbid, and, and made you pull a trigger, you're not culpable for it because you didn't do it. Even though it was technically done through your finger and through your hand, you're not the doer. Following? Okay. So the sages say an interesting thing. The hand of a servant is the hand of his master. When a servant does something, it's as if the master did it, not the servant did. Because the servant has no will of his own. Whatever he's doing, he's doing on behalf, for and stimulated by the master. Therefore, the servant... So, let's, so now, I, for one moment, to understand this, to get this, let's understand. You see, if I have a very good friend... If I have a very good friend, and we're very, very good friends, and, and, and I to ask my friend to do something, and the friend, because he's a good friend of mine, goes ahead and does something, who did the act? I need, to be, I need to pick someone up from the airport, but I can't make it, and I ask my good friend to go pick someone up. Who picked you up from the airport? The friend picked you up from the airport. They did it because they care, and they like whatever, they want to do me a favor, and they picked you up from the airport. But who did it? They did it. How about if I sent my servant to pick it up? Then I picked you up on the airport. Why? Because the servant is me. Because the servant is like, it's almost like instead of me having the master, a human being has 248 limbs. If I have a servant, guess what? If I have a servant, I don't have 248 limbs. I have two times 248. I have my 248 limbs. 
and I have his 248 limbs too because my brain is really activating his body as well. Follow what I'm saying? And if I have 10 servants, how many limbs do I have? 10 times 248, 11, one, <laughs> one of my own, and then 10 times, 10 times 248. When we are doing mitzvahs because God said so, then we're not doing those mitzvahs. Who's doing the mitzvahs? Hashem is doing those mitzvahs. Because we have ceased to be us, we become Him. That's why God says an interesting thing. He says, Kili b'nei Yisrael avadim. The Jewish people, they are mine. Kili. The Jewish people, Kili b'nei Yisrael avadim. The Jewish people are mine. That means through servitude. Through simple servitude. What happens through simple servitude? Through simple servitude, we cease to be us, we become His. So, here's the thing. People think that serving God with simple obedience, just because God said so, is a very poor and pathetic way of serving Him. Shouldn't you serve Him with love, with excitement, because you appreciate, because you understand... No, that's a higher service. It involves, it involves much more deeper involvement on the person's behalf. I'm doing the mitzvah. I'm excited. I want to do the mitzvah. I want to learn. I want to daven. I want to put on tefillin. I want to keep Shabbos. I want to... That's great. It, if you're doing things because you want to, it shows that you're a, a refined spiritual person. But you're still you. You're a person who loves God. You're a person who's connected to God. But you're you. But when you do a mitzvah without any, any personal... When you're not doing it, you're doing it because you have no choice. Because God commanded you. Then when you're doing it, who's doing it? It's Him doing it. And you're Him. Your entire being has become subsumed in God's existence. So, therefore, through accepting upon ourselves the yoke of heaven, we transcend ourselves being us and we become Him. That's why the seventh... That's why through, the, through servitude, we break out of death. Because we've, we've transcended our situation completely. And we've become godly. And God lives with all eternity. So it's an amazing thing. As a servant of Hashem, we live on forever. By surrendering ourselves completely to do His will, because He said so. That gives us eternal life. That's why from all people who lives forever, David lives forever. We don't say Moshe lives forever. We, we say David. Why? Because David's mode of service was simply like a servant. Serves his master. So he becomes an extension of his master. And he lives forever. Because Yaakov is compassion. Yaakov and David, the third day and the seventh day. These two. Through compassion, you're, 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 you're evoking Hashem's inner, inner, infinite light, and you live on forever, and through servitude. So how does a person get out of being stuck? If you find yourself stuck, there are two things you can do. You can evoke compassion for your soul, and that can take you out of that death, and that, 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 that stuck, that whatever death situation. 
or you can give yourself over to do mitzvahs without inspiration just because Hashem said so. And just continue doing it and you'll see you're going to come out of that place completely because you're going to be, your, your entire life is elevated to a different place. You become imbued with God's life. It's a different thing. Two, two methods of getting out of a stuck situation. Let's see. It says in the past, to me the Jewish people are servants, pittish, through this that they are avadim they belong to me and to me meaning not to God's to, to the ain't self to the infinite like it says elsewhere on the Eved, which is the level of Eved which is servant which is complete nullification where you have no understanding, no reasoning of why you're doing. This type of service is rooted very, very high. A person who does a mitzvah with simple obedience draws down God's crown in the mitzvah from the infinite. See, if I'm serving Hashem because I understand, so then I'm I'm serving, I'm drawing down only from God's, from the level of Hashem's chachmah. I'm not drawing from Hashem's crown. That's the malchus of the Ein Sof. This is the level of Li. To me, myself. It's another Pasuk. It says, I have betrothed you, I've married you. forever. That means anything that's associated with Li, with God Himself, over there, that's forever. On this level, there can't be any changes. The Li, the level of Hashem Himself, Keser, it doesn't change. All the other levels can change, meaning there can be death. If I'm serving Hashem based on reason, some days I have more, more inspiration, some days I have less inspiration. But if I'm serving God like a soldier, then every day I just do what I got to do. There's no changes. This keeps a person focused. So we have, we have to really develop this element in our soul to be able to do, no matter what, when Torah, when the Judaism demands of us to do something, we do it. Why? Because And you see, people who can, who, 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 who can develop, because we all have it within our neshama, this, this attribute, people who develop this aspect called Kabbalah's all, they don't fall. They're always the people that leave it up to what? To inspiration? So you here I'm inspired, am I not inspired? So you see there's, there's what we call this death there. Spiritual death. Sometimes they're on a high, sometimes they're on a low. So important. So it doesn't mean that we shouldn't have inspiration. We should have inspiration, we should study, we should learn. But that's on top of doing things because I have to do it. Once you have that foundation of doing what you have to do, that keeps you. That keeps you steady. That keeps you balanced. That keeps you on track. And then after that, you have the highs, you have the lows, but you don't fall. You don't die. People who are, who, whose Yiddishkeit is based on experience, on feeling, stuff like that, then you can have very high moments, but then you can also die. So that's why it's, it's the seventh attribute is a place where there is no changes. It's rooted in an absolute. It's rooted, and it's rooted in the crown where there are no changes. 
Now he proves another idea of which is similar, but I don't really understand how much how different this is because he says vegam. The root of Thomas Mace comes from the shattering of the vessels, which begins in the world of reason. The first vessel that 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 collapsed in the in the shattering of the vessels of the world of Toyo is the attribute of das, and that's where the eight hadas comes from. That means that higher than das, das means knowledge, higher than knowledge, to serve God with a stubbornness that's beyond your mind, over there there's no shattering of the vessels. And there is no, there's no death there. The first king who died, which I'm not going to get in right now, but the seven kings that are mentioned in Parshas Vayishlach from the family of Esau, where kings died, it's referring to the primordial worlds of Toyu, where these forces collapsed, you see, it goes from good to bad. Which is higher than Das. In Chachma, there is no death. It's the tree of life. And definitely on the level of crown, there is no death. And therefore, but what touches the crown? The simple servant of a servant, the simple service of a servant touches the crown, the great rabbi and the great scholar is not reaching the crown. Because the great rabbi and the great scholar are stuck in his mind. But the simple Jew who's just doing things because God said so, he's touching the crown. Because he's transcending his own mind and he's not doing... doesn't mean a rabbi can't do it. The rabbi can also do it. But I'm saying, when the rabbi serves God as a rabbi, with understanding, the very understanding is limiting. But when you can go beyond your understanding and do just because with simple faith and with simple determination and with simple obedience, that takes you beyond the realm of intellect and reason to a place of steadiness, to a place of permanence, to the place where there's no death. The two, yeah. which is the source of life. Chachma is called life. Kesar is called the life of life, the fountainhead of life. And this we we can only touch that place through bittel that's higher than das. Which is the service of the seventh day. Malchus, because who wears a crown? What's the connection of Malchus to Kesar? Who wears a crown? The king wears a crown. So Malchus is the lowest, but it's connected to the highest, to the crown. It doesn't have an interruption. And now he wraps it all up. That's why from all the tzaddikim, who is the only one we say lives forever? David. And who else? Also when Yaakov Chazal say, Yaakov Avinu Loi Yaakov didn't die. Because as we said before, compassion reaches that place. And... And a simple obedience reaches higher than, than reason. That's why the, the angel that was fighting with Yaakov couldn't beat him. He's really the angel of death. He couldn't beat him. That's why when we're sprinkling to purify someone who's defiled, to remove the spirit of impurity, is in the third day, I'm on the seventh day. 
This is the secret of why number three and number seven have that power of not having it. That's the reason why also when it comes to the seventh generation, Chabadniks have a, cannot say that the Rebbe died. Why? Because he's the seventh one. And the seventh one, there is no death. If so, what happened? I don't know what happened. But not death. That's the source of life. The, their life lasts forever. In the seventh dimension. So by David, David, Melech Yisrael, Chayim, Now we're holding, this is the seven, second set of seven tzaddikim. So this has to be permanent life. And if, if it doesn't appear so, it's because our eyes are blinded. So we, we, we but the, the, um, the Indian is a permanence and the like. All right.